0: to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the permissive will of God, as we pick up in Numbers, chapter 22, verse 18. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck.
1: So Balaam answered the servants of Balak and said, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold I cannot go beyond the word of God To do any less or to do any more So he said, wait tonight And I'll find out what the Lord will say unto me Now I can imagine that this night Balaam was really laying it upon the Lord Lord, please because he was thinking about these great rewards that had been offered to him by the king. All this loot. Man, he was really drooling. Lord, you know, I'll be good, I promise, but let me go, Lord. Just let me go. Please, Lord, let me go. I assume that this was the case because the Lord gave him permission to go, but yet, when he went, it wasn't God's will for him to go. And I do believe that it is possible for us to enter into a gray area of what is termed the permissive will of God. Yes, God will permit you to do it, but He doesn't want you to do it. And I believe that a person can zero in right on the heart of God and the direct will of God for his life. You can be right on dead center with God's will for your life. And I think that there is a gray area that you can get over into which God will permit you to do it. But it isn't really His direct will. He isn't really pleased with it. But he is, you, you've insisted, you're pressuring, you're forcing, you're whining, you're crying, Ah, go on then, you know. Oftentimes your kids, you know, they've laid it on you like that. And you say, okay, go ahead and go. But you really don't want them to. You're so tired of hearing them gripe and whine and complain. Get out of here. Go ahead. Go on. Tired of hearing your complaining. And so I assume that this was the case because God said, all right, go. And God said to Balaam at night, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. So Balaam rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went. God was angry with him for going. Now, God expressed his direct will in the beginning. Don't go with them. Don't curse these people. That was God's direct will for his life, but he was going off into an area. God permitted him to go, but God was angry with him for going, leaving the place of the center of God's will. I think that it is possible for a person to do that. But out of the center of God's will, you can run into all kinds of problems, all kinds of adversities. And before he had gone very long, very far down the road, an angel of the Lord stood in the path with a drawn sword, ready to take off his head. But fortunately, his donkey saw the angel, though he didn't. And so the donkey turned off the path. And Balaam took his stick and hit the donkey and got it back on the path. And they were going through a vineyard, and in those vineyards, they have rock walls along the pathway to keep people from going over and picking grapes. And so he's going between these rock walls, past these vineyards, and the angel of the Lord stood in the path again. Balaam didn't see him, but the donkey did And the donkey sort of tried to edge over against the wall And got Balaam's leg pinned up against a rock And he beat that poor little donkey again And so again, he got him going down the road And the third time, the angel of the Lord stood in the path But this this time, there was nowhere for the donkey to go So he just sat down And Balaam began to beat him again. And God opened the mouth of the donkey. Now to me it is an interesting thing, the great pride that some people have because God has spoken through them. God spoke through me. (laughs) You know, like you're something super special because God spoke through you. It is true, God still speaks through donkeys today. (laughs) And that should deflate anybody who who, who thinks there's something special and something really glorious. You know, people ought to bow to them because God speaks through them. God opened the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey turned to Balaam and said, Hey, man, do you think it's right beating me these three times? (laughs) Look, have I ever done anything like this to you before? Haven't I always been a good little donkey? <laughs> Balaam said, you bet your life I'm doing right. If I had a club, I'd kill you, you rotten beast. Boy, talk about being mad. That's really being mad when a donkey talks to you and you talk back to him. <laughs> Instead of being just dumbfounded, you know, a donkey talked to me, I, I just... You know, huh? Huh? <laughs> He was mad. He he wished he could kill that donkey at this point. It's amazing how out of tune and out of sorts we get when we're out of God's will. You know, we're wanting to do our own thing and God puts a block in the way and boy we become angry. We become upset because God is blocking this, which I've got in my mind to do. And you get out of the will of God and you can really get out of sorts in every area of your life. The whole, your whole life just gets out of sorts completely. And so at this point, God opened the eyes of this prophet and he saw the angel of God standing there with a the sword. And the angel spoke to Balaam and said, you better be thankful for that dumb little donkey you got. Because had he not turned aside, I would have taken off your head. Balaam said, oh, I'll go right home. I'll turn around and go right back home. And the angel said, no, you've come this far. You know, it's in your heart to go. You go ahead and go, but you just make sure that you don't say any more than what God tells you to say. And so Balaam went on to the king. And so the king brought Balak up into a high mountain where he might overlook all of Israel, camped down there in the valley. They came to Kirjath-Huzoth, the city of the streets, literally. And so Balaam said to the king, Build me seven altars here, and I'll offer sacrifices unto God. So they built seven altars, and he offered seven oxen and seven rams. And Balaam said to the king, Now you stand here, and I'm going to go up, and maybe God will speak to me. And whatever God shows me, I will tell you. And so he went to a high place, and God met Balaam. And Balaam said to him, I have prepared seven altars, and I've offered upon every altar a bullock and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak and tell him this. And so he returned to him and he was standing by the burnt sacrifice with all of the princes of Moab and so Balaam took up this parable and he said, Balak, the king of Moab, hath brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east saying, come, curse me Jacob and come, defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied. For from the top of the rocks I see him and from the hills I behold him and lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. And who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. And the king said, Why have you done this unto me? I've brought you to curse my enemies, not to bless them. And Balaam answered and said, I must take heed to speak that which the Lord has put in my mouth. Now, this one part of this prophecy is interesting. He said, may I die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. It's a... Interesting thing, how many people want to die the death of the righteous, but they don't want to live the life of the righteous. They think of Christianity as something that is good to die by. Well, I wouldn't want to die any other way. But it's something that's great to live by. And yet there are people that aren't so interested in living a life of righteousness, only dying, let my last end be as is. I want to die the death of the righteous. If you want to die the death of the righteous, then you better live the life of the righteous. So Balak said, Come and I'll show you another place. Because you didn't see all of them here. There's another part of them. Maybe you can curse this part over here. And so he took them to the top of Mount Pisgah. And there again, they built seven altars. And they offered seven rams and seven bullocks, one on each altar. And so Balaam went to meet the Lord, and the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Go again to Balak and tell him this. And so he said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Hearken unto me, thou son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Now this is a very interesting scripture, but it is even more interesting in its context. What is the context? The context is that God has spoken His blessing upon the nation Israel. Now He's trying to get God to turn and to curse the people that God has blessed. And God is not a man that He should lie nor the Son of Man that He should repent or should change. Hath He not spoken and shall He not do it? The immutability of God's Word. He doesn't change. He's not a man If God has declared His blessing, His blessing shall come That's the context But it is a very important scripture that declares to us The nature and the character of God Because there are some passages of scripture In the Old Testament That from the passage you might infer That God changed His mind in a situation But God is not a man that he should lie, nor the Son of Man that he should change. God's purposes remain steadfast and sure. Now, there are times when it appeared that God changed. God said to Jonah, go down and warn Nineveh, I'm going to destroy the place in 40 days. And Jonah went down and preached to the Ninevites, and they repented in dust and ashes, and and God forestalled the judgment. Had they not repented, they would have been destroyed in 40 days. Because they repented, God gave them an extension of time. But God knew all along He was going to give them the extension of time. We have extreme difficulty in thinking as God thinks. For a little while this afternoon, I watched S.C. playing Washington. But I wasn't really excited about it. In fact, I, I was so unexcited, I finally turned the thing off because I knew what the score was. The final score, that is. I knew who was going to win. I looked at that game today entirely different from what I would have looked at it yesterday. Rather exciting game yesterday. But today it didn't have nearly the excitement because it was all a replay. So I know the score. I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to be the result. They just got penalized five yards. Oh no! Oh, that's all right. White's going to you know bust through in the next play. <laughs> so you don't get all shook and upset because of the penalty. You know that Garcia is going to catch the pass in the end zone. You know, and, and it's a thing where you're watching it, but it's a funny thing because you're not really getting too much into it because you know exactly what the result is going to be. Now this is the way that God looks at our lives. In Psalms it says we spend our lives like a tale that has been told or a story that's already told. We spend our lives like a rerun. God, knowing the end from the beginning, looks at us, knowing what the effect and the result of every step I take is going to be, every move, every decision. God already knows the end result of it. And there are times when it looks from my angle, oh, the Lord's changed on this, all right. No, He already had that in mind. He knew that from the beginning. My attitude towards it has changed. My perspective has changed. But God remains the same. God is not a man that He should lie, nor the Son of Man that He should repent. So those scriptures said, and it repented God that He created man and all. It is only looking at God from a human standpoint and trying to define the actions of God with human language, which is impossible to do. Because God dwells in a dimension that is so totally outside of our time zone and and our space dimension that we cannot and we don't even have words to describe the activities of God, thus we have to use words that we have, but they are very limited and do not truly describe the full actions of God. If He is God, He cannot change. Hath I not spoken, and shall I not make it good? Behold, I have received a commandment to bless, and He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. For He has not beheld iniquity in Jacob. Oh, help us! What do you mean? He just sent the fiery serpents among them two weeks ago or two months ago, whatever the case was, because of their complaining. Hey, isn't that a neat God? He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob. It isn't because there wasn't iniquity in Jacob, but it's because God chose not to see it. That is what David was talking about when he said, Oh, how happy is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. Now we hear told of Santa Claus that he's making out a list and checking it twice and going to find out who's naughty and nice. And a lot of people picture God that way, making out his list. But God has no list for me of evil. Oh, how happy is the man to whom the Lord doesn't impute iniquity. That account was destroyed. God said that he did not see any iniquity in Jacob. That to me is glorious. That's grace. That is God's grace because it was there but God chose not to see it, even as He has chosen not to see the iniquity of those who are believing and trusting in His Son, Jesus Christ. But we'll leave that to Romans chapter 2 to deal with as we move along and get there later. But I think that's a fabulous scripture. Neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what God hath wrought. Oh, when you see what God is wrought, people are going to say, what God hath wrought. As God brings the people in the land, establishes the nation, they're going to say, oh, look what God has wrought. I love that. I love that, I love that whole concept. Look what God has wrought. That's the neat thing about Calvary Chapel is that men can't put a finger on on the success of this place. God's chosen to use a nobody and a bunch of nobodies to do a beautiful work. And people come around, the the scholars and the geniuses all come around and try to analyze it and figure out what's happening and why it's happening and classify it and codify it and everything else. And, and, And they walk away scratching their heads. They can't figure it out. Preachers go away and say, man, I can preach a better sermon than that. I'm much better looking than he is. Why don't I have success? Isn't that neat? They just can't figure it out. You can only say what God hath wrought. Choosing again the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Just to put them in total consternation and and confusing them. Doing a work that only he can receive praise and credit and glory for. And I absolutely love it. What God hath wrought. Interesting verse there. The prophet said there's no divination, no enchantment that can be used against him. And, and I want you to know this, that as a child of God, there is, there is no charm, enchantment, divination and all x or anything else that people can put
0: on you that will have any effect. We'll return with more of our verse by verse Bible study in the book of Numbers on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order numbers 22 through 23 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you
1: and bless you, give you a beautiful day tomorrow. And so, God, keep you in the love of Jesus Christ and strengthen you by His Spirit in your inner man. And may He help you to begin to comprehend what is the length, the breadth, the depth, the height of His love begin to understand more and more the things that He has prepared for those who love Him and wait on Him. May God cause His grace to abound towards you through Jesus Christ our Lord.
0: This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. It's with great honor that the Word for Today would like to present Pastor Chuck Smith's book
1: entitled Prayer, Our Glorious Privilege. With great clarity, Pastor Chuck masterfully taught the principles of praying to God our Father and emphasized the power that belongs to each one of us when we rely on the Holy Spirit to guide and nurture our prayer lives. I want to encourage you, So pick up a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, Prayer, Our Glorious Privilege, and study it to put these biblical principles into practice. Read this book and come to the most amazing realization that prayer is the most potent weapon in your spiritual arsenal, and use it with great promise and hope. For when you begin a life of prayer, you begin a great adventure. To order a copy of this book in print or to download a digital copy, please visit thewordfortoday.org or call The Word for Today at
0: 800-272-9673.